Have, uh, have you ever had a situation or, or an experience in your life where you're kind of privileged to, to be given a behind-the-scenes look of, um, of one kind or another? So, and it could have been for whatever reason, maybe you're friends with somebody or, or related to somebody, or you're just one of those people that can just smooth-talk your way with someone to kind of be given a a privilege that maybe the, uh, you know, the common person wouldn't have. Um, as I was kind of thinking about those things, um, I've, got a, I've got a brother-in-law who's a pilot and flies for a company, and so it was kind of fun one time to be in the cockpit of a private jet with him. Not what it was flying, it was on the ground, but still just, you know, just him explaining some of the different uh, controls and systems and things like that I found quite intriguing. Um, um, having, a, having a friend who's uh, married to a guard at the Tomb of the Unknown, or he was a guard at the Tomb of the Unknown, and it was quite an honor to be given a tour of the, uh, of the guard's quarters and see how they prepare for a walk at the tomb. Um, and I imagine, uh, you know, if we were to take a poll here, we'd probably, lots of us would probably have some stories kind of like that. Um, I was thinking about today's sermon, and I got to thinking about the high priest in the Old Testament. And, uh, man, what, what, would it, what would it have been like to have personally known the high priest? Uh, I mean, maybe he's your uncle or something like that. I mean, what, what would that have been like? Now, obviously, he can't give a behind-the-scenes tour of the most holy place. To do so would have resulted in death, so we know that's off the table. But, I mean, just uh, what would it have been like? What kind of stories might he have been able to tell about... Uh, about his trips into the most holy place in the presence of God? What, what kind of privilege might you feel as a result of personally knowing the individual who stands before God on behalf of all the people? I mean, even just walking down the street with, with your uncle, right? Walking down the street with the high priest would probably, probably be an experience because of the attention that it, that it might draw within the nation of Israel. And, you know, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to strip the role of the high priest of all its luster this morning, but, but today as we, as we continue in this sermon series called What is the Church? We're going to be talking about how the church itself is a priesthood. Uh, how, how we, as the people of the church, you and me, are a priesthood. And so, uh, you know, before we get into today's topic, I, I, I do want to give a, a short summary of, uh, of last week. Last week, we began this sermon series talking about how the church is a temple. And so the physical, uh, the physical temple in Jerusalem and the mobile tabernacle before that was always meant to be the place where reconciliation was put on display. That's what we talked about pretty much the whole time last week. And, the, and that reconciliation was shown in two main areas. Reconciliation between God and mankind, and also reconciliation between one another. And so the most holy place within the temple, that was, that was the, uh, the inner room in which God's manifest presence dwelled. But it was restricted from the general person. Only the, only the high priest could enter, only on the Day of Atonement once a year. But it was something. The, the, there was access there. God dwelled in the midst of the nation, and at least someone could be in his 
presence at some point. And then in addition to that, when we think about reconciliation with one another, the fact that both Jew and Gentile were able to come to God in the temple to offer sacrifices and worship together was a picture of that interpersonal reconciliation. So people from different groups could stand shoulder to shoulder, worship God in the temple. Now, now we talked about the Old Testament temple did not provide complete reconciliation. That, that, that was not the end goal. It, it was meant to be a picture that drew people in while simultaneously looking forward to Jesus. And it wasn't then until Jesus and his work upon the cross that complete reconciliation, what was once only hoped for, became possible through Jesus. He, he completely opened the way into God's presence so that all who receive him could stand before him. Uh, and Jesus tore down the barriers erected between people so that Jew and Gentile could equally receive salvation from him. And as a result, we talked about the church is to be a picture of that. We are to live and to worship as those who are in the presence of God. We're to stand shoulder to shoulder with people different from us as we live out and, and worship God together. And so the church is meant to display that reconciliation through Jesus that the physical temple could only foreshadow. So that was last week. But the gathered church isn't only a place where those things are displayed. The gathered church is also comprised of people who've been called to be priests in this new temple of God. Now, when we think about priests today, we might picture first an authority figure in the Catholic Church. I mean, they're called priests, aren't they? Uh, but, but before priest was a Catholic Church position, it was a God-ordained position. And so, uh, if you would, uh, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. And you know, this is not the first time this weekend that 1 Peter is going to be proclaimed from this stage. It was happening all day yesterday, and I promise you, I didn't work it out this way. <laughs> I did not, and uh, maybe here's a, a bonus point for you this morning in the sermon. This one's free of charge. Uh, when something like that happens, I don't think we should just say, oh, that's a fun coincidence. I ought to maybe say, well, what are you doing, God? What are you doing this morning? Why, why, why lead us here to First Peter on this weekend when we've got quizzers leading us in worship who've been studying First Peter, Josie reading from First Peter in the midst of the songs? What are you doing, God? What are you doing? Well, let's see. First Peter chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 4 and go down through verse 10. And so as Peter writes, he says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and 
a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I do just need to apologize to the quizzers that that's the ESV and not the NIV, and I'm sure you were struggling as I read that, but Peter's using two images there to, to describe the believers. The first is living stones built upon Jesus, built upon the cornerstone. So while the original temple was, was an inanimate object made of physical stones, the new temples made of living people who are built up into, into the new house, into the temple of God. And, and again, that, that applies to what we were talking about last week with the church being a temple. But the second image that Peter used is that of a, a royal and a holy priesthood. He states that believers in Jesus have been chosen by God to serve the role of priests in this new temple. So if we go back to the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, priests could only come from the tribe of Levi, and within the tribe of Levi, they could only come from the clan of Kohath, and from that clan, they could only come from the family of Aaron. So it was just a limited group from just one of the 12 tribes who could ever serve as priests under the Old Covenant. But under the New Covenant, Peter states that all God's people are now part of the priesthood. They all are. And so as a result of that, then the roles which the priests used to carry out in the original, original temple all believers now carry that out in the new temple that's being built of living stones upon Jesus, the cornerstone. And I, this is not at all to discredit the work of Jesus, whom Hebrews calls the great high priest. We, we read that earlier. But it is to recognize our calling that's been given to us as a result of and, and in submission to our great high priest and I think a good way to picture it is just as back in the Old Testament there was one high priest and then, and then many regular priests as well, uh, so there's one great high priest, Jesus, and many regular priests in, in the new temple as well, and that would be us. That would be believers in the great high priest. And, and so as we think more deeply about this role given to us, the question is, what role did the priesthood fulfill in the original temple? What role did the priesthood fulfill? And Peter alludes to some of the roles in his letter here. But to, to more fully see them fleshed out, we're going to spend some time in Exodus 28 and 29 this morning. This is, where, this is where God first ordained priests to serve before him. And, and it's in... It's in this setting apart of the priests where he speaks about the role of the priests in general and, and 
also about the high priest specifically. So if you'd like to follow along with me, uh, we'll, be, we'll start in Exodus chapter 28, and I'll read the first uh, five verses from that. And this is God talking, says, Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill, that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twisted linen. It's kind of fun to think about what the high priest might have looked like wearing those garments. And, and I found a picture. Here's just kind of one recreation of what that uh, might have looked like. Uh, one thing is for certain, all the gold, the blue, the purple, that would have stood out in a crowd. I mean, it would have stood out today, but especially then as well. And that's part of part of the point, if, if the priests, and especially the high priest, are to be holy, then that means that they're, they're set apart from what surrounds them. These garments were supposed to stand out in a crowd because they, they represented the holiness of God. So a person ought to have been able to look at the priest, recognized that they served God, and understand that there was something holy and set apart about that. And, and their garments helped to communicate that. It's truly a privilege and an honor for those serving as priests, and, and especially for the high priest, to be set apart in this way. In Peter's letter, when he, when he wrote in chapter 1 of First Peter, he, he wrote that because of Jesus we now are all called holy in him. We're set apart in a way similar to how priests were under the old covenant. Now we think about being set apart. There might be something deep inside of some of us that doesn't want to stand out. We maybe don't want to draw attention to ourselves and risk mockery or ridicule or something like that. There might, there might be some of us that just say, I'm, I'm good with blending in. Right, that, that fits me just fine. But, but whether it makes us uncomfortable or not to be set apart, that is what we are called to be as a priesthood of believers. There, there's just no getting around it. We are set apart and we're called to be set apart. Because we're made holy in Jesus, we're supposed to stand out in this fallen world. But, it, but it's not just for the sake of, of being different so that we can draw attention to ourselves. We're set apart as priests in order to display to the world the holiness of God. So we're not set apart so people will look at us. We're, we're set apart so that people will see God reflected in us. God has chosen us and he's made us holy so that we would reflect him to, to all of those around us. And, and to use Peter's words, to proclaim his excellencies for all to see. 
That's part of what we do as priests. We proclaim the excellencies of God. The, the church is a gathering of people who are set apart and made holy and proclaim God's excellencies. And, and uh, it doesn't come from our clothes, right, <laughs> like it did with the, with the priesthood and, and the old covenant, but from our attitudes, from our actions, from our words modeled after Jesus. So our, our hope that we have ought to stand out. Our love ought to stand out. Our attitudes ought to stand out. Our priorities ought to stand out. That, that, that's, that, that's, that's, that's what we're called to. We're called to be priests who reflect who are the holiness of God. We're set apart for that. So we have to be prepared as believers in Jesus to not fit in seamlessly with our fallen world. If we stand out a little bit, that's good because we're supposed to. We're set apart as priests to reflect God's holiness. So we see that. We see that mentioned in Peter's letter. We see it in Exodus. As we continue on in Exodus 28, the, the, the passage, it, it shifts from describing the clothing of the priests generally to the high priest specifically. And, and it communicates something further to us. So uh, in this, this whole section, verses 6 through 30, talk about this, but I'm just going to read a couple portions of it for us. So first I'll start in uh, verse 6, if you'd like to follow along. Exodus 28, verse 6. It says, They shall make the ephod of gold, of blue and purple, and scarlet yarns, and of fine twined linen, skillfully worked. It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its edges, so that it may be joined together. And the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it, and be of one piece with it, of gold, blue, purple, scarlet yarn, and fine twined linen. And here's where we really need to catch what, what's being said. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on the one stone and the names of the remaining six on the other stone in the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree, and you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel." And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. So if we can get the, the picture of that back up there, you can kind of see on the, on the two shoulders there, you can uh, see what's being described. And the important thing to remember is they, that they contained the names of the 12 sons of Jacob. So representative of the entire nation of Israel. And so if we continue on in another part of chapter 28, uh, verse 15, says, You shall make a breastpiece of judgment in skilled work. In the style of the ephod you shall make it, of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen you shall make it, shall be square and doubled, a span its length, and a span its breadth. Its breadth. You shall set, it, set in it four rows of stones. A row of sardius, topaz, and carbuncle shall be the first row. And the second row, an emerald, sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, a jacinth, an agate, and, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. And here, this is what we need to catch. There shall be twelve stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. 
They shall be like signets which engraved with its name for the 12 tribes. And if you skip down to verse 29 then, it says, So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastplate of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. So if we get the picture still up there again, you can see on the breastplate the 12 stones being described, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And again, the point to consider here is that a role of the high priest was to go before God on behalf of the people. He didn't serve himself in his role. He, he wasn't entering the most holy place on his own behalf. He symbolically took the entire nation with him into the presence of God. Now, that role was perfectly fulfilled by Jesus, our great high priest. Uh, Hebrews chapter 7, we're told that, that prior priests came and went. They died because of their sinfulness. But, but Jesus continues forever as the great high priest and draws near to God to make intercession for the people. So Jesus is doing this as we speak. He's interceding for you and me in the presence of God this very moment. Uh, it's why the prayer of Jesus in John 17, where he prays for his disciples and he prays for all believers who will come later, uh, that's often called the, the, the high priestly prayer of Jesus that, that recognizes that he is the great high priest who intercedes for us. So just because Jesus perfectly fulfills this role, it doesn't mean that, that we as regular priests aren't called to intercede for others as well. Uh, all throughout the New Testament, we see commands to pray for one another. Uh, we talked about that in Sunday school this morning in Colossians. Uh, another example in Ephesians 6, uh, Paul tells the church to make supplication for all the saints. And so the question is, do, do we take that role seriously? Do we take it seriously? Like the high priest in, uh, in the Old Covenant, do we come before God with the names of others close to our heart? I, we can ask ourselves, what, what percentage of my time is spent praying about me compared to praying about others? Now, we should pray for ourselves. I'm not saying we shouldn't, but, but not to the neglect of others, right? Not, not praying exclusively about ourselves. The, the local church is to be a priesthood which prays consistently for one another. And so that means people that we naturally gravitate toward, people that we get along well with in the church, but it also means those with whom we might more easily experience tension or conflict. We, we are to pray for one another. Uh, it's, it's, it's so very difficult to to maintain hostilities with someone when we pray for them regularly. It, it, it's so tough to do that. Uh, and so, I, you know, the next time I'm, I'm ready to confront someone or there's temptation to leave an angry voicemail or, or fire off a, a sharp email, I ought to pray for that person first. And, and not just pray about the situation between us, which again, it's a good thing to pray for, but but pray for that person, pray for their blessing, pray for their flourishment, pray for their joy. How many, how many damaging interactions would be avoided when we first live out that high priestly role in our life, that, that role of interceding for one another? 
praying for one another. My, my hunch is there would, be, there would be so much more unity there, wouldn't there? There would be, there would be less of that conflict and tension. As, as priests in the new temple of God, we're called to intercede for one another in prayer. That's another part of our role. So we see that we are set apart, we're made holy, we reflect God's holiness, we intercede for one another as the high priest did. The final role that we're going to talk about today is maybe the first one that we would think of when we think about priests in the Old Testament and what they did, the offering of sacrifices to God. And, and so while the priests did administer the sacrificial system through which people would bring their, their guilt offerings, their sin offerings, their peace offerings, all of that, I want to focus on a different kind of sacrifice, different kind of offering. This is in Exodus chapter 29, uh, and this is verse 38. And again, God giving direction and instruction here. He says, Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs a year old, day by day, regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour, mingled with a fourth of a hen of beaten oil, and a fourth of a hen of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and shall offer it with it a grain offering and its drink offering, as in the morning, for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you and speak to you there. So, so in addition to all of the, we'll call them situational offerings that, uh, that the people would bring to the temple, the priests were to also oversee daily continual offerings, two lambs every day, one in the morning, the other at night. And it didn't matter if by chance the entire nation of Israel happened to go a whole day without sinning and didn't need to bring any other sacrifices to the temple, those daily sacrifices would still be made in an attitude of worship and of trust in God. Now, upon the sacrifice of Jesus, we know the sin offerings, the burnt offerings, the, the, the animals that were brought, they're not needed anymore. Uh, Jesus gave a sacrifice once for all. He took away sin, so we know that. But that doesn't mean that we can't or we shouldn't offer any sacrifices to God today out of worship to him, out of love for him. I think this is what Peter references in 1 Peter 2, uh, verse 5, when he calls the holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. He says that's another one of our roles, offering spiritual sacrifices. So for us today, it's not, it's not a morning and evening lamb. I'm not saying that we ought to start that here at Eureka Bible every, every morning and evening, but the morning and evening sacrifice which we should make is ourselves. It's ourselves. And again, not kill on the altar kind of sense, but in a die to ourselves kind of sense. That's what we're called to do every morning and evening. And, and the Bible is full of examples of what that spiritual sacrifice ought to look like. Uh, Psalm 141, Revelation 5, both talk about prayers as sacrifices to God. 
uh, and specifically as a pleasant uh, incense, a pleasant aroma to God. So there's prayers. Uh, Hebrews 13 talks about uh, contentment and generosity being a sacrifice to God. Micah chapter 6 speaks of the sacrifices that God desires, and those being justice, mercy, humility. Uh, Hosea 6 speaks of God longing for steadfast love and knowledge of him rather than burnt offerings. Uh, Romans 12.1, I think, encapsulates everything when it says we should present our bodies as living sacrifices to God. And in that context, bodies refers to our, our whole person. That we, we ought to offer our whole self to God as, a, as an offering to him, as a spiritual sacrifice. So, so similar to how the priests would make daily offerings before God in the temple— we too ought to daily give God the spiritual sacrifice of ourselves. That's part of living as this holy and royal priesthood that we are. We ought to give everything to God as a spiritual sacrifice of praise. So as we think about it, as a local church filled with individuals who are part of this holy and royal priesthood, we ought to be spurring one another on to carry out this calling that we've been talking about, reflecting the holiness of God, interceding for one another, offering spiritual sacrifices to God. But that can feel overwhelming, can't it? Boy, when we think about that, maybe you and I look at ourselves and wonder how in the world we can ever be priests of God. I would say there's, there's two things to keep in mind. Two things to keep in mind when we feel doubt or, or maybe some discouragement when it comes to carrying out those roles. And the first thing to, to remember is that we are not priests because we are the best and brightest and most likely to succeed in the, you know, <laughs> you, you agree, right? That's not, we are priests because God chose us. That, that's, that's why we are priests. And that's what he's been doing all throughout history. You go back through the Old Testament, uh, Genesis 12, God chose Abraham out of all the people on earth. You go to Exodus 19, God told the Hebrews that he chose them out of all the other nations on the earth. Exodus 28 that we read, God chose the tribe of Levi out of the other 11 tribes of Israel. And, and Peter says it as well in chapter 2, verse 9, we're a chosen race. God has chosen us. And Peter's echoing those words from Exodus 19 when God chose the Hebrews on Mount Sinai. Uh, Peter goes on in, in verse 10 to state that once we were not a people, and now we are. Once we had not received mercy, and now we have. And what Peter's doing there, he's, his words are chosen specifically. He's taking us back to the story of Hosea. Any, any Jew listening to what Paul had said would know that he's referencing Hosea. If you remember, God told the prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute named Gomer. And that was, that was to be a symbol of God's covenant with Israel, even though Israel continually veered away from him. And, and when Hosea married Gomer, they had some children. And the names of those children further symbolized the judgment that God's people deserved. So the first daughter was named Lo-Ruhamah, which means no mercy. Because God's people did not deserve mercy based on how they were, how they were acting. The second son that they had was named Lo-Ami, not my people. 
because they were not living as God's people. And so Peter is linking directly back to that. But what Peter is saying is that when you're in Christ, you are God's people. You are shown mercy. You don't deserve it. I mean, not, didn't deserve it any more than the nation of Israel deserved it. But that's who we are in Christ. It's not because of righteousness on our part. It's because of the righteousness of Jesus imputed upon us. It's because God has chosen us to be his people. He's chosen us to show mercy. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve to be called holy priests. But in his love and in his mercy and in his choosing, that's exactly what we are. We are a holy and a royal priesthood. So we have to keep that in mind when doubt comes to us, when discouragement comes to us. And the other thing to keep in mind is that God equips and God provides for those that he chooses. And again, we see it in, uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, first one that came to my mind was Exodus 4. God called out to Moses from the burning bush and said, Moses, I'm choosing you to lead my people out of Egypt. And what does Moses do? He questions his qualifications for that task. I mean, he knew he wasn't qualified. Moses knew he wasn't worthy. And honestly, God didn't argue with him about that. But all throughout that interaction, God kept confirming to Moses that he would provide what was needed for Moses to carry out that calling that he had been given. And so, as people who've been chosen to be God's priests in this new living temple, he will provide what we need to carry out that role. He'll provide for us. What, what we must do is, is receive it from him. Trust him that he will provide for those that he chooses just like he's done throughout history. So God's chosen us. He'll provide what we need to be a local church filled with priests, to be this priesthood. But even so, we ought to ask the question, is it worth it? Is it worth it to live in holiness? Is it worth it to intercede for others? Is it worth it to offer our entire lives to God as a sacrifice? Because when you think about the Old Testament with the priests there, the tribe of Levi, they were not given a portion of the promised land. They weren't, they weren't given land to, to pass on as an inheritance to their children. They weren't given land that was their own to grow food on, to sustain themselves. They weren't given that like the other tribes were. But Deuteronomy 18 states that in the place of those things, that the priests would be given God's food offerings to sustain them. And, and even greater than that, God said that he himself would be their inheritance. So they weren't given the land, but God said, I will be your inheritance. And so when we think about us today, living as priests, there are sacrifices that come along with being his priests. And if, we're going to, if we're going to stand out and, and live out, display God's holiness, if we're going to be set apart from our fallen world, we may attract some opposition. We may attract rejection because of that. If we're going to, uh, if we're going to live out this role as priests, we'll, we'll probably need to forego certain activities so that we can labor in intercession for others. Trade entertainment and trade distraction for the hard work of prayer. 
Um, we'll, we'll offer all of ourselves to God and live for him rather than ourselves. So, so we'll, we'll disregard the world's treasure to serve God rather than money. That, that's what living as a priest in this new temple means. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to do that? As we live out our calling as a priesthood of believers, I think God says the same thing to us that he said to the tribe of Levi then. I will be your inheritance. I will be your inheritance. What greater inheritance could we receive, could we ask for, than God himself? Is it worth it? Yes. Yes. That is very much worth it. What a, what a great calling we're given. What a, what a high calling we're given. And, and what a rewarding calling we're given as well. To be the temple of God, like we talked about last week, displaying reconciliation, but to be priests in that temple as well, living out this calling that God has placed in our lives. Would you stand with me? Let's, let's continue this morning reflecting on this and then going to God uh, in worship through song once again. Father, we come to you this morning um, just recognizing our role as priests. We may not always think of ourselves as priests or feel like we should be priests or even think that we're living up to that role as priests, but that, that's, that's who we are in you. You've chosen us, and called us, and equipped us. And so God, may, may, we, may we live this out May we be this priesthood in this new temple. It is such a blessing. God, help, help us to think of it that way, to not, not feel overburdened by what you call us to, to not feel rejected or inferior in those times that we, that we don't live out the calling like we know we ought to. But may we, may we rest in you May we trust that you've chosen us and equipped us, and may we also do the work of being your priests. Thank you that we're even able to be that. We know it's only because of you. It's only through your sacrifice. It's only through your righteousness given to us. It's only through your power at work within us. And so we trust you for this role that we're given. May we be a local church of of priests. And God, I, I, have, I have faith that as we do that, it'll be honoring to you. It'll be, it'll be uplift, uplifting and encouraging for us that it'll be furthering for your kingdom on this earth. And so we praise you for that. We praise you that we get to participate in something like that. God, as we continue in singing, would you would you draw our hearts closer to you? God, may we not just sing the words, but may our attitudes, our desires be honoring to you and be in line with what you call us to. We pray these things in your name. Amen. As we